This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, November 17th, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. Challenges to the inclusion of certain books in school libraries have hit a fever pitch. So it's worth getting a better sense of what's in and notably what's not in many public school libraries. Cato's Neil McCluskey details his research. We should stipulate this up front. Uh, School libraries are finite in a sense. That is, they have four walls and a limited amount of shelf space. And that necessarily means that some human or set of humans will make decisions about what goes into that library and what doesn't. Absolutely correct. So we have been having a lot of battles recently, although you can go back as far as back as public schools and books to find battles over what books are in libraries or taught in class. But we've been having a lot more of them over the last two or three years. And there is a fundamental reality, which is that you can only put so many books on shelves. You can only have so much physical space in the library. Now, of course, we have more access to electronic books, but there's also limited budgets. You can only spend so much money on books. And that means that somebody has to decide which books go into public school libraries and which ones don't. And it turns out that when you have people choosing what to read and what not to read, they may have biases. They may, it may be librarians have biases. There could be school boards have biases. Could be lots of people. But the idea of public schooling libraries, at least the idealized notion, is that they deliver or make accessible all viewpoints so that anybody and student who's interested in something can just go there and find everything that they could, that's possibly been written on a subject from all different perspectives. And what we looked at is, well, is that the case? Is it the case that you can go to a public school library and get a great balance of perspective on controversial issues? And what our findings suggest is no. The fights over what books go into libraries, though, before we get to what you found, it's almost a, a fool's errand, I think, to try to get a reasonable representation of the wide range of things that people believe about the world and what people believe is appropriate for young people. It just seems like an almost impossible task. Well, it can certainly be an impossible task if you say what we are doing is we are capturing the full spectrum of views on every issue or topic imaginable. You could, though, say, well, okay, we know we can't do that, but let's at least try and get especially if we're talking about something that's political. Well, we'll try and get liberal viewpoints, liberal or progressive, and we'll try and get conservative viewpoints. And you say, okay, well, we have some balance there. Of course, if you're a libertarian, you say, well, we're not really any of those. What about the libertarians? And then there'd be a whole lot of perspectives in between. But you could, in theory, say, well, at least get some balance. But it is true, I think, and totally reasonable to say, You're never going to be able to get every perspective, especially when you think if those decisions are only made by two or three librarians for a particular school or one school board or sometimes by a superintendent, they're only going to have so much knowledge of what's out there to begin with. So, yes, we, as is often the case in education and I think lots of policy issues, 
we say, well, what we're going to do is we're going to aim for the ideal and we're going to then ignore what reality is and then get mad when we don't hit the ideal. So what did you find? So what we tried to do is begin to look at what books are being stocked in libraries, understanding that the major debates we've been having over the last two or so years, but again, you can go back before that, they just weren't as frequent, are about books that are already in libraries that people don't like and they say, these should be removed. And those totally understandable, but it got me to start thinking and people asked, they said, well, okay, we're talking about removing books that are already there. What do we know about what's already in libraries and how those are selected. And it does seem important. We shouldn't say, well, okay, all our attention will be on the back end after it's purchased. Will people then get mad and then say, let's get rid of a book? And so the first thing we wanted to do actually was to see, can the public even see what's accessible in public school libraries? Because there's been a lot of concern, especially conservatives, that lots of things are hidden, that we don't know what's in the libraries. And it takes a special, uh, you know, you may have to sort of sneak in in the middle of night through an unlocked window to go look at all the shelves. And the good news is we found in about 85% of the school districts we looked at, so we randomly selected 200 school districts, we looked at about, well, at 408 schools of middle schools and high schools to see what was in their library and whether you could examine their libraries. And about 85% of those schools had access to a library that the public could look at. And so you could see what's physically on the shelves, you can see what books are accessible electronically, and that's good. So the concern that, well, all this is hidden is not accurate in most places. It's not always easy to know how to search for these books. You got to kind of know, look for Destiny Discover or something like that on a school district website, but they can be found and you don't have to have super special skills to do it. And then we said, well, let's look at a, a sort of a hot topic. And the hot topic is, what is the fundamental character of American society? Is it that we are a free and open and tolerant society, or are we kind of riven with systemic racism? So this has been a very big issue the last few years. And we said, let's find some books that are clearly on one side or the other ideologically. So not based on the race or something of the authors, but take different views. And so we looked at Ibram X. Kendi, who's pretty well known uh, for uh, is anti-racism, but also a whole series of books called Stamped, which then have different subtitles and are geared toward different age groups. We looked for those and we looked for responses to those or counterpoints to them. So the Rush Revere series from Rush Limbaugh is kind of a very kind of pro-America, almost, you know, kind of mythological series of history books. And we also looked at some books that directly address the Kendi books. We also looked, by the way, for Ta-Nehisi Coates' Between the World and Me, which is also about sort of how common racism is and how it's in every American institution. But we looked at woke racism, which is from John McWhorter, a pretty well-known academic, but also writes for the New York Times. His book is a direct counterpoint to these. Uh, and we looked for a book called Cynical Theories, which talks about critical race theory and things like that, also sold quite well. And we wanted to see if somebody walked into these libraries, if a student wanted to know about this issue, could they find a balance of views? Could they find these books? And what we discovered is there is a huge imbalance of the Kendi books and the Ta-Nehisi Coates book versus woke racism, cynical theories, for sure. 
and also Rush Revere. Acidical theories and woke racism we found each in just one school or a library accessible to one school, whereas we found uh, stamped racism, anti-racism in you, which is geared toward middle and high school students, in about 135 schools. A huge, therefore, imbalance. But we also found Rush Revere, I think, was in around 20, one of his books was in about 26 schools. So what we found is overall a big imbalance, and then we looked at specific libraries to see, well, if you went in that library, would you find a balance? The vast majority, as would have to be the case mathematically based on our overall finding, was there was no balance, and it was overwhelmingly leaning to the left side of this issue. However, within particular districts, you could also find that you could get the Rush Revere books without a balance. So overall, we found a major imbalance in private school libraries to the left, but if you're in a particular district, it could be biased to the right. One way or another, what that suggests is it's not that easy to get a balanced viewpoint if you're this student going to the library, which some people say should have a special First Amendment kind of protection as a place where you can get anything you want. It doesn't seem to be the case. So we argue about book banning, understandably, but it suggests we need to spend a lot more time learning about how books are acquired to begin with. So what is the big takeaway? I mean, for for parents, for school systems that are earnestly attempting to provide this, what are their takeaways? Well, so it's hard to get the big takeaways because one of the things I found, we started doing this research just because people had asked, well, can I see what's in these libraries? And I thought, well, that's a good question. And then it's worth seeing if we have some balance. It's important to note we looked at a very narrow set of books. Maybe there are books in there we didn't know about that provide that balance. But as I was researching this more and more, and a lot of this is in the paper, what I learned is there's been almost no research done on how school districts and school libraries acquire their books. And there's been very little look into the balance and what sort of influences what they buy. So the first thing is, you know, this is always kind of the excuse people give, but I think it's really true here is a lot more research needs to be done. We need to focus a lot more on how books are acquired and a lot less on, well, what do you do when somebody finds one they don't like? But the other thing is, we find evidence on one side that supports this fear, especially among conservatives, that librarians are overwhelmingly progressive and that that may color what books, what perspectives they put in the libraries. There's certainly evidence that that's the case for librarians, and our evidence suggests that that bias may come through on what they choose. However, it probably goes deeper than that. We did some research into this. It's also the case, though, that the places librarians go to get reviews of books, where they learn what books are out there, tend to not review these more conservative books, at least the ones that we looked at, and on the occasions when they did, they were negative reviews. So you could find one or two cases of Rush Revere books being reviewed, and they were panned. Uh, interestingly, Rush Limbaugh, who was sort of the guy behind the Rush Revere books, and you pretty obvious because his name is kind of the main character, he actually won a Child's Book Award, and it was in 2014, and a lot of people who gave this award were like, we're so sorry. But this is based on popularity of the book among kid readers and overall sales. So he gets this award and everyone sits there kind of aghast. And it sort of captures that 
people may want to read these books. They may be popular, but they are not popular with the people who select the books they say should go into libraries. But interestingly, Woke Racism was also reviewed in like Kirkus, which is one of these sources. And it was reviewed positively, but still is, was in only one of these libraries that we looked at. So it could also be that the sources librarians go to have a bias against more conservative books. But finally, because we have a narrow set of books, again, this is, you can only take so much from this. But in particular, Ibram X. Kendi does a lot of marketing of his school, of his books, and targeting them specifically to school-age audiences. Whereas the uh, Woke Racism was probably written for adults, although it's not hard to read. It's pretty accessible in terms of reading. I couldn't find any evidence of marketing or targeting to school-age kids. I didn't find any of that for cynical theories, which is probably a little too complex other than for, you know, maybe the most advanced high school students. But interestingly, Rush Revere does a lot of targeting to kids because that's who it's for, but I didn't find much evidence they focused on public schools as much as families. So it could be also that conservatives aren't marketing their books to public schools, but we have a lot more to learn about that. Again, this is just sort of scraping the surface to try and start to see how our books selected and why. So if we accept the, the notions that libraries are finite people and humans are charged with making those decisions and the humans that are charged with making those decisions have biases. The sources from which they help them make decisions about books to go into libraries are probably biased themselves. It seems that that effort, well, it just doesn't seem like it's worth that much. Yeah. So I guess what it leads to is the question is, well, what do we do about, you know, what does this tell us we should do about education? When we look at libraries, libraries certainly are not the primary thing that public schools or any school is about usually. So this is not a main driver of policies. But again, I think it points to a need to have choice within education, really for two reasons, or probably for several reasons. But if it's actually impossible to meet this notion of, well, the library is this place where all viewpoints are presented then we shouldn't hold that up as, well, we can't have school choice because people would get a, a biased view, whereas in public schools, for instance, they can go to the library and be exposed to the diversity of viewpoints. It doesn't seem that that is the case. Again, more research needs to be done. And if it isn't, if you end up having people who then are exposed to either the bias of librarians broadly or conversely of a particular district where the majority may be very conservative and want lots of conservative books, if you're going to get biased one way or the other, the answer has to be you've got to allow people to choose something else. You can't sort of impose the bias on everyone, no matter what that bias is. And then there's a sort of something in this that I think maybe people don't think about as much, which is probably many people do have this ideal of I want a library at a school that presents a wide variety of viewpoints. The way actually to enable that can be choice, where if you have people who don't want that wide array of viewpoints, where there are some people who think very earnestly the purpose of education is to direct kids to what is good and right and beautiful, and we should shape education around that, you don't want those people in your school if your idea is no. We want kids to choose for themselves what's right. With school choice, you don't have a zero-sum war 
to decide who gets to impose what on the other person. Those people who want that library that has all sorts of perspectives, they say, this is what we want. We're not going to force you to pay for it. You can go somewhere else and keep the money to educate your child. So that's actually kind of an escape valve for the pressure to move the library in one way so that those who really want to aim for that ideal don't have to also have people who want something very different contending for the same library shelves. Neil McCluskey directs the Cato Institute's Center for Educational Freedom. We spoke last week. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please. And thank you for listening. <laughs>